0: welcome to the trigger warning talk podcast where we discuss traumas we talk about sexually based offenses human and sex trafficking domestic violence we end every show with a missing person case i'm your host lp we have a very special guest in the building. Her name is Kathleen Herrod. She's a passionate author. She's from my hometown, my St. Louis sister. She's from the Gateway City. She is very passionate about helping others who, uh, helping others understand, I should say, who commits to sexual violence against others, where acts of sexual violence happen and when it happens over the. Year she has discovered these three areas that are central to bringing awareness, and she shines the light on the reality of such events. She also covers the importance of reporting and shares an innovative tool that she has designed to help children report using the, the latest technology. Finally, she will touch on the subject of sex trafficking from a standpoint not commonly highlighted. Kathleen, how are you doing?
1: I'm great, LP. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast, Trigger Warning Talk podcast. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, uh, very excited. Thank you.
0: I want to remind all the listeners here that the Trigger Warning Talk podcast discusses, as the title says, trigger warning conversations. We have uncensored conversations, we share information and we have a ton of resources available to all the listeners. If at any point, anyone who's listening to this podcast, because this will be audio only streaming on all the major platforms at any point you are triggered in listening to this podcast, call 911 for immediate help. Cause your brother LP is not going to show up. Also, You can call the the sexual abuse hotline that we have listed. There's the domestic violence hotline and phone number. There's the trafficking hotline and phone number. We have for those that may be doing substances, whether it's alcohol and or drugs. We have Al-Anon, we have Narcotics Anonymous. We also have Alcoholics Anonymous. There is a new 911 number that is In effect, it will be nationwide July 16th. That phone number is 988. It is a mental health 911 number. Again, 988 is in some locales in the US. It will be nationwide July 16th of this year. And again, we do real talk here. So we say what it is. It is what we say. We're going to move on because we got a lot of stuff to cover in this next hour that I want to talk to my St. Louis Gateway City sister, Kathleen, about.
1: Awesome. Kathleen. (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready.
0: Kathleen, you are an author. And you wrote a wonderful book. And you have a number of publications that you have. And we'll get into that. I want to start off talking about sexual violence. We talk about sexually based offenses. And before we came on, we were talking about definitions as someone who, for me being a first responder, a lot of calls that I've dealt with over my 14 plus year career before I retired in 2020 dealt with sexually based offenses. I always say that as a paramedic, I have to be the eye in the hurricane of somebody's emergency. That includes sexual traumas. Most of the patients that I've had have been women. I want you to talk to me about definitions and let's start off with sexually based offenses. What is your definition and how do you define sexual based offenses, sexual traumas and who and how they apply to all genders? The mic is yours, Queen.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So um, let's start here. The National Sexual Violence Resource Center, that's the NSVRC, they describe uh, or go into detail about sexual assault. Sexual violence happens in every community and affects people of all genders and ages. Sexual violence is any type of unwanted sexual contact. This includes words and actions of a sexual nature against a person's will and without their consent. A person may use force, threats, manipulation, or coercion to commit sexual violence. Forms of sexual violence include rape, sexual assault, child sexual assault and incest, sexual assault by a person's spouse or partner, unwanted sexual contact and touching, sexual harassment, sexual exploitation and trafficking, exposing one's genital or naked body to others without consent, masturbating in public, watching someone engage in private acts without their knowledge or permission, and non-consensual image sharing. There are social contexts that surround sexual violence, social norms that condone violence, use use power over others, traditional uh, constructs of masculinity, the subjugation of women and violence about violence and abuse contribute to the occurrence of sexual, uh, violence. Um, so in the last paragraph says oppression in all forms is among the root causes of sexual violence. Sexual violence is preventable and it goes into some other things. One of the things I want to be, um, really clear about is this misconception that it happens to women, um, And it outpaces the number of men who are victims. I want us to be very clear. According to statistics, it's one in three women, one in five men. For some, they say one in five women, one in seven men. Either way you go, Um, the numbers are really, really close. One in three women, one in five men. That's not enough differentiation for us to say women are victimized more but that's a definition of what sexual assault is. I want to include this one little last part though sexual violence also includes those who are who may be uh, mentally uh, unable to um, define what sexual violence is. so you want to think about those who are disabled. you want to think about those who are. Um, what they call special needs or, or challenged individuals as well. So they still can be victims of sexual violence and sexual crimes.
0: I'm glad you made that addendum to that because for me, again, as a medic, I'm always interested in the things that I'm responsible for because I, even though I'm retired, my medic license is still active in our home state of Missouri. So that makes me a mandatory reporter, especially when it comes to child and elder abuse. And because when I was in St. Louis, I worked for a paid fire protection district, as well as a private EMS service in the greater St. Louis area. Part of the contract that we had with the EMS service was with pretty much every skilled nursing facility, assisted living facility, long-term care facility, and so on and so forth. So I dealt with a lot of seniors as patients, and there were situations, fortunately, that I knew of that I was able to report some of those issues. But how many of those issues did I miss? How many of those red flags did I miss? Because one of the things that my goal is now as a CEO of this consultant firm is to raise awareness with other first responders, because we don't get a lot of training in these things. We know how to treat injuries, but we don't get enough training on sexual assault, on domestic violence, on trafficking. Let me tell you this. I've had one in-service training in 14 years, and that was on human and sex trafficking back in 2019 when I was at the fire department one in my whole career all of the other training that i've got i had to get it on my own that's appalling on so many levels because your first responders get called in on a lot of these different emergency situations and stuff so i'm glad that you gave me those stats one in three women one in five men like you said it's not too big of a gap between the two but it happens and me as a guy you know if I'm sexually offended, I'm gonna feel I would I would believe just as bad as a woman would feel. I don't look at it as any different. Like trauma is trauma. So, thank you for giving me those statistics and talking about elder abuse and talking about how we have to be more aware of these things because my grandmother's in a nursing home. You know, she's 90 years old. Is it something that I'll, is it something I'm up late at night thinking about? No, but it's always in the back of my mind. It's always something that I don't turn a blind eye to. I want you to talk to us about specifically, since we're talking about mandatory reporters, I want you to talk about children and sexual trauma. For someone who's written about these things, when you talk about child abuse and child sex abuse in particular, as far as not just the law is concerned, but let's talk about some very specific things that we need to be aware of when it comes to child sex abuse in terms of what should be some red flags that we look at, let's say the top five red flags that we should look at when we're thinking about hey this kid may be sexually abused
1: um good question however i'm going to i'm going to kind of uh wrap it another way um because of my experience and what i know through studies and all of that there now there are some red flags you could have wedding in the bed you could have a change in behavior. You can have grades that are dropping. You can have um, a change in mood. Um, You can have, um, um, you know, they start dressing differently. Um, You can watch their body language. The body language may begin to change. So off the top of my head, those are five of, of probably the most obvious Um, what I should say behind that is that those are red flags. However, uh, if you're going through a divorce, you could possibly see the same red flags, right? A child can, you know what I mean? So I want us to be clear about that. And also, um, be clear about the fact that there may not be any red flags. Uh, your child may be able to just show up every day, bright and sunny with a smile on their face and they are being molested or touched inappropriately. So I would say don't get hung up on looking for a red flag, but more so uh, really move into a space where we practice awareness, where we learn um, how to engage with our children so they're able to have conversations with us or other individuals if something were to happen to them. Um, Because red flags are not 100%. Every child is different. Um, every child uh, their mood doesn't change um, they could be pretty pretty you know somewhat normal and you w- you will not know any different until probably you find out something is going on and then you might be able to pick out a few little things that changed um but again sometimes they're not noticeable enough for you to to say to yourself oh my god my child is being sexually molested you might be I mean, you could just be seventh grade is difficult and they're having a difficult time with seventh grade. It could be things that are along those lines where things are just stressful and they're trying to, uh, you know, move into this new identity and things like that. So the, the key to all of this is to learn as much as you can and be aware and learn how to have that conversation with your child.
0: I want to talk about the management of some of these triggers that we're going to be discussing as someone who is, I consider an expert when we talk about management of triggers, what is your view on that? I've gone in a number of these clubhouse rooms when we're talking about mental health and I get very discouraged because Sometimes I see these rooms that are being set up as support rooms. I have no problem with that. However, they are being utilized as therapy, which is wrong. as all outdoors. And I call it out every time I see it. Sometimes I'm in the audience and sometimes I come up on the stage and talk. And this is just as far as Clubhouse is concerned. However, I don't limit it to that. There are some podcasts that talk about tricks and different things like that for you how do you believe a person should effectively manage their triggers especially when it's come when it comes to sexually based offenses trafficking and those things
1: okay so when it comes to uh triggers the only way that i can see that you will be able to manage your triggers, um, you probably need to go through therapy. Um, Therapy, speaking with a professional, right, which I've had to do, um, you know, my background is, and how I got into this work is, um, my past was uh, filled with sexual trauma as a child. um, And, as i grew up um it was it's always just like i'm saying always but it's it was a part of my childhood and oh, w- once i was an adult and i continued to struggle i had everything from um uh burning myself you know what do they call that self harm so i did self harm um yes. and then i was um um, well, I didn't start fights, but I definitely would end fights. <laughs> my grades were pretty maintained. Um, but as I came into adulthood, I did realize I was already ready struggling with. Um, I'm sorry, I cannot compete with my clock if you hear it. It's, it's, it's oh,
2: there, there's it, no problem. It
1: chimes every hour, but um, I realized that I already was struggling. I'm sorry, it plays a hymn Uh-oh. every hour. <laughs> It's no so, but, hey you know
0: what get That's, with
1: it hold on no. it's, it's, it's really loud in my ear It might not be that loud to you guys
0: no, no it's okay, not that, that loud.
1: but here's the thing so i realized early some of the things you can look at is relationship issues unable to form a bond uh with people especially a healthy bond um drug use alcohol use um For some people, promiscuity. Like there are some things that will let you know to red flag yourself, right? That, hey, I'm not, my life is not looking healthy. The way I'm behaving, the way I'm carrying myself is probably not the best. I'm probably not gonna have the best result if I keep going this way. And so what I did, um, I started therapy when I was about 21 years old. Um, When I was earlier, when I was about 14, I had like thoughts of suicide, things like that. Um, So my thing, I would say definitely uh, go to some professional, a professional therapist and start there because there you will learn the correct tools to help you manage your life because this is your life we're speaking about. So even with your children, if they've been sexually offended, you can be a great mom. You can love them to death. You can be a great dad. You can love them to death. The whole family can be very supportive at the end of the day there is a need for professional counseling to help them um uh, build the blocks that they need to have that foundation where they will be able to manage their um their condition or or the you know what has happened to them they need the correct tools to manage that so yeah
0: you know for uh that's a great answer because Like I said, when I go into some of these rooms on Clubhouse and they're most of them are mental health based rooms, I remember going into a room before and they were talking about eating disorders and I'm in the room and I'm telling them, I kind of give them my two minute spiel about who I am and the stuff that I do and me being a medic and all this stuff. And I gave them two stories. This was two different occasions. One, I told them about how I had a lady who the call came out as a suicidal ideation we get there she had swallowed 20 plus pills had ingested some some other substance she would never tell us what it was found out that the reason that she was suicidal was because she was having PTSD regarding not only her eating disorder but she had been sexually traumatized before which <clears throat> excuse me which led to her eating disorder which led to her suicide attempt. And I thought, man, you know, how how would I have known that if I hadn't done a thorough assessment? Because my interaction with her totally changed once I found out the foundation of what the problem was. And, And what I tell other first responders is, It's not just about the bumps and the bruises and the chest pains and the blood. You got to treat patients like patients and you got to be a Y, W-H-Y, paramedic. You can't just be a book medic. Oh, well, they are bleeding or we're just going to stop the bleeding or whatever. You might want to find out why they're bleeding. You know, is it something that they did intentionally or unintentionally? Because there might be other underlying issues at play. And I'm so glad that you are describing these things in great detail and you're giving us a lot of examples that some people don't talk about and some people don't hear about. So when I'm in these spaces and I'm talking to them about these things, sometimes I get I get some flack because people don't like when I say the word rape or suicide and I'm like. Well, what would you like me to say in its place? I don't I'm not good with euphemisms when I'm doing real talk because I was trained that, hey, if if you have a family member that died and I worked on this person. I'm not going to come to you and say, you know, excuse me, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry that your loved one has transversed into the heavens above and they're in a whole nother space and time continue. No. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm so sorry that your loved one has died. Here's what we believe happened. Here's what we did to resuscitate this person if possible. I've even gotten family members involved in resuscitative efforts. You know, just because I'm like, hey, if we got to do super on this person, we we swap out every two minutes. You know, because sometimes we'll work on a person right in front of the family members, unlike the old days. And so... This is part of the healing process for me. Having not only the family see that we're doing everything possible, but having the real dialogue and the real conversations. Again, I don't like the. I I believe fluff is an action word. I believe that's what you do to pillows and shit. Like, let's do some real talk when we're talking about these things. It's just like when you're talking to a kid about their anatomy. You're not gonna say wee wee and pee pee and all that stuff. You know, you're going to name it, but vagina penis, you're going to talk about these things or you should, because that's exactly what it is. You know, we're not talking about using terms of vulgarity. We're talking about doing real talk. So I think when it comes to triggers and I think in a, in a lot of ways, trigger the word triggers being misused. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I think triggers are just a part of our reality. Um, and people are mo- becoming more familiar with the word, and so they're using it. Unfortunately, um, people are uh, kind of misusing it because, you know, anything can trigger you. You can be triggered at yeah. any time by anything, it, and it can be minute or it can actually be um, a trigger. I mean, I've been in spaces, especially when it comes to sexual assault and sexual violence, I've been in spaces where literally. Um, certain things were said or done and you would have an adult uh, curled up in a fetal position. I've been in places where we're having conversations about sexual assault and violence and people have to exit the room. People can truly be triggered. Uh, but then some people, because they don't want to have a, di- because they don't want to have a discussion. Um, and it's, it's almost like an escape word for some people and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of places you can go when you're talking about being triggered and I cannot, I don't want to invalidate anybody's, um, you know, because what may trigger you may not trigger me. I cannot, it'll be hard for me to judge what triggers another person. I'm sure, I'm sure to some degree it's being, you know, misused or mishandled or, you know inflated uh uh, you know inflamed a a bit but um it's okay i I, i'm more excited about the fact especially in the black and brown community that we are using the language that we are moving into a space where mental health is important and that we understand at the base basis what a trigger is and that we're beginning to have um that type of dialogue and, and and those types of questions now you said something about uh, resuscitation and I would like to see a resuscitation of, (laughs) of us as the black family, um, restoring the health in our families and being aware of what sexual abuse and sexual trauma is, you know, I I always say uh, what, what's the old saying? Uh, uh, One ounce of prevention is worth more than a cup of cure. Um, And I think that's what we should have. We should focus on awareness we should focus on how important it is to report. We should focus on getting the correct help so, uh, it, so that we can manage our triggers, lessen our triggers, and conquer our triggers if we are having triggers um, because you deserve, you deserve life, right? Even after trauma, you deserve life. You deserve your day. Um, You don't have to live in a place where you are self-harming. You don't have to live in a place where somebody says something to you and you end up in a fetal position for two weeks. I mean, I've been there. I've lived that. I understand that. Um, But you don't have to live in that place. And being able to manage your triggers, that's what it's all about. Um, It's all about, you know, I don't dismiss the fact that I was sexually traumatized. I can't forget it but I don't have to live in it every day. It doesn't have to consume me and it doesn't have to move me and and force me into decisions. So um, that's very important when it comes to measuring, uh, not measuring, managing your triggers. And everyone should understand that, that it is possible to manage your triggers. And I do like what you said earlier. Um, I like what you said earlier about being careful when we are a part of social media um that we do not allow um just people's general ideas of what they think is the right answer so to speak um to be our guide Uh, you really need to see a professional if you can't see a professional check into doing some group work where you don't have to pay that independent cost Or join a support group where there's no cost at all. It's just professionally led and you can do some group work. So I can't emphasize that enough, but don't just listen to someone on social media and run off. I mean, because that can lead you all kinds of ways.
0: (laughs) You gave me a great segue. I want your opinion on, and we're just talking right now about triggers, especially in spaces like clubhouse. I am a proponent of the replays being on when you're on clubhouse. And the reason is I feel like if you're going to go on social media with this clubhouse or whatever platform, it could be a podcast. It could be clubhouse. It could be whatever, and you're willing to have a discussion about whatever, especially something that may be triggering. I don't believe that there should not be a a situation where, like with Clubhouse specifically, where the replays aren't on. Because to me, if you're willing to have the discussion in a public forum, I don't see why you would have an issue with that information being in the public because it's in the public. You're on social media. And to say, well, you know, I don't really, I wouldn't share this information if it was going to be recorded well again you're on social media you can't say that i mean officially it may not be recorded but you don't know if there are people sitting there with some digital recorder or some uh, audio equipment that they're recording this conversation that it could surface later somewhere or what have you i just don't get it can you tell me your view on that
1: Um, I'm not kind of the, I'm not really the type of person to voice like a personal opinion. Um, I'll say that first, um, I'm imagining that there are, um, there are reasons there are liabilities associated with it. So the reason why people give that disclaimer of, I don't consent to this being recorded and the replays are off is probably because content can be, um what they call it can be remixed it can be uh it can be diluted it can be taken out of context people can take sound bites and and turn it into you know whatever they wanted to say just like with with regular media even cnn and and the big guys um yes. people can take sound bites and they can make it into whatever they want it to be so i guess at the end of the day it's probably leaning on the side of liabilities and not wanting to be responsible for the misuse of content is what i'm thinking
0: yeah i just i feel like even like you said with the big guys you know if if there is something that was taken out of context like you can go back and look at the whole interview of that particular person and say oh, okay yeah i see where they took that out of context or whatever if on social media the same thing were to happen, if I'm going to come on any platform and share whatever is horrible to me that happened in my life, I'm going in it knowing that A, I'm a willing participant in my own share because there may not be anybody that's aware that this happened to me other than me. The other thing is. I have the discretion of giving as little or as much detail as possible. When people find out I'm a paramedic, one of the one of the main questions that I get from people is, oh, man, I know you've seen a bunch of bad stuff. What's the worst thing that you've seen? They want blood and guts. I don't give them blood and guts. But I will talk about those issues. There are times where I've been triggered in recalling some stories. I've gotten a little emotional, maybe had a little frog in my throat or whatever. I've sat down sometimes and was like, "Man, you know what? That still bothers me. You know that I wasn't able to save this person or what you. But I still have the conversation with people. Again, I won't get into the bloods and guts and stuff or the details about things. Part of it is I don't believe it's necessary. Other part is. I practice HIPAA. Other part of it is, you know what? I may not want to go that deep into something. That's my prerogative. And I just think that people, when they share things, you got to come from that perspective. But that's just me. Could be wrong. I'm just curious about how others see that particular conversation going. I want to jump into what I believe is the biggest problem when it comes to what we're talking about. And that all falls under the umbrella of mental health. I always say mental health crisis is the world's oldest continuous pandemic that's been around since the beginning of time. I believe that there are three barriers to us people in general, but specifically black and brown folks when it comes to seeking therapy, the stigmas, the taboos and the stereotypes i would like for you to tell me about your view on the stigmas the stereotypes and the taboos that are associated with mental health crisis
1: um let's start with stereotypes i want to start there because uh there is no stereotypical individual who is a sexual predator um in my book i stress to people that title does not equal safety no level of degree or income will prevent a person from being a sexual predator if that is indeed what they are and what they practice and what they do. Um, So there is no stereotype. Uh, there is no grungy looking guy who smells bad um, with an outgrown beard uh, running around looking for little kids or women or men to rape or molest. It literally can be and has been anyone from a pastor to a teacher to a grandpa um i remember years ago there was a story about a daycare center in illinois and the daycare center in illinois was ran by a grandfather and a grandmother they had had the center for for years (laughs) i'm talking for freaking decades um the whole time they were molesting children when they went to court the daughters ended up saying yeah my dad had molested me when i was little he molested my kids, when I let them stay over, and he promised me that he wouldn't. So there, there, there's just no, no stereotype. Women rape boys. Um, women will get a man drunk and uh, or on drugs or something like that, and they will rape men. Right, uh, that happens too. Um, yes. So there's no safety if you're looking for a stereotype. There, you know, they can be wealthy, like the Johnson and Johnson heir. Um, here's a multi-billionaire, he's still raping kids, Woody Allen. So there's no, there's no typical person who's out here doing the most despicable things that you can imagine to children and other people. Um, it literally can be anybody. Um, I just want to be clear on that. It can be a priest, it can be a teacher, it can be the guy on the golf course, it can be a waiter, it can be it's it's literally anybody. It can be your mailman, you know, Amazon driver, <laughs> your neighbor. Um, yep. um, quite cl- close to me right now, one of my neighbors recently was accused of molesting his children. They removed all the, their children because it's a couple, they removed all the children from the home. Um, he was uh, locked away in jail or prison or something. Um, he got out. I have new neighbors who have small children. I immediately went over and was like, This dude just got out of jail. Do not let him play with your kids. Now, the guy's a child molester, right? Um, he's playing music, you know, to try to, I've never heard him play that style music ever before in my life. So he's playing the music because he's got little girls uh, now living next to him and he wants to attract them in some kind of way. He volunteered and cut my neighbor's yard. After I saw him cut the yard, I was like, oh no, let me go and tell them that he's a child molester. Um, because if not, it's easy to get caught up because, you know, you believe people, the, the, the most uh I like the way you said that. I like that you said that <laughs> sexual abuse is like um the longest pandemic that we've ever had. It's like it seems like right. it's never ending. The reason is because there is one component that every molester must have. If they're not um the violent type which which is rape where they like, you know, snatching you and and ripping your clothes off, which a molester can do that too, but part of molestation is gaining people's trust. Um, and so when it, especially when it comes to children, but even grown women, when they're dating someone, the guy will get them to trust them. And then out of the bag, he goes, oh, you going to give me this, you know, you going to give me this coochie, you know what I'm saying? And you like, oh no, I, you know, I don't want to have sex with you. And he rips your clothes off and rapes you. Uh, but yes. you guys have been dating for three months and you thought he was the best guy you ever ran across. Mm-hmm. If they don't gain your trust they they will never, most of them Uh, when it comes to sexual violence, if they don't gain your trust, they're not able to move into a position where they can take advantage of you. So gaining people's trust is a major component of how they operate and manipulate. It's part of the grooming process as well. So we need to be familiar with what grooming is. We need to be familiar with the fact, and I'm moving on to the next one. Give me a second. We need to be familiar with the fact. No,
0: we got time. Please OK, continue.
1: so we need to. Yeah, we need to be familiar with the fact that most sexual violence happens by someone, you know, someone, you know, a family member or someone close to the family. So stereotype, throw it out the window. OK, taboo mm-hmm. and stigma, taboo. we'll kind of put them in the same boat. Right. To me, in my mind, taboo means adults are afraid to communicate about basic information. That's, that's just what it means to me. It's all this taboo stuff that people have made up. I don't even know where the word came from. But, um, and I'm sure, I, you know, it's pretty probably simple, s- simple to research. But come on, guys, we're adults. There's no, no sure. freaking way. OK, knowing what I know today, just like I told you, I marched right over and told the new neighbor, this guy's a child molester. What the freak is taboo about that? It's an adult conversation. It's, 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 it's proven that we need to talk about these things. We need to talk about and talk to our children about sexual molesters out there and rapists. I mean, do you know I, I did a college, a college event, a couple of them they i i attended the first time the next time they invited me back and the next time and then i joined their um affiliation the group uh, organization i've moved from cincinnati now so i'm no longer a part of it but when i was there they started this movement on college campus because the girls were getting raped now college is what adults no there are no well yeah sometimes there's a 16 year old in college because people graduate early but typically College age is 18 through normally 26, unless you're a non-traditional student. But you're talking about staying on campus, that's probably 18 to 26 years old. Um, Do you not know these young ladies have never had a conversation about being raped? (laughs) These are adults who the adults in, in their life have never had a conversation with them about, listen, This is what happens in the real world. Um, And that's the problem. We want to um, escape our duty by saying something is taboo. It's hard to talk about. Well, it's not hard to talk about. Open your mouth and use your words. The same thing we tell preschoolers, and I've taught preschool. The, The main lesson to teach the children is open your mouth and use your words. Um, the yeah, the last thing, and I am going to talk about stigma. I'm not going to put t- stigma and taboo in the same boat because they're not the same. Um, but it's it's the whole mislabeling of dysfunctional behavior, right? So stigma says uh, a stigma in the black community is oh, don't go to therapy. Well, it's it's like that in all communities. If you're going to going to therapy, but especially I guess in black, that's the one. I'm more familiar with. So if you're going to therapy, people say, oh, you're crazy or I don't have to go and see nobody to tell me how I feel or um, uh, nobody can tell me how to deal with what I'm going through. I'll deal with it on my own terms. Um, All I need is to smoke me one and I'm good or have me a drink of wine and I'm over it. And then some of us use our pain as motivation. Um, black people, brown people are very good at using their pain as motivation. And we don't have to do that. So instead of you going to school to be successful because you want to go to school and be successful, you we wrap it around our pain and say, oh, all the all the bull that happened to me when I was a child, I was like, I ain't gonna let nobody hold me down. I'm gonna get this degree. It's We don't know that we're assigning pain to our motivation, but a lot of times we do. I'm not gonna let anybody hold me back. I'm gonna show you how strong I am because I'm gonna keep going like what you did didn't even happen. I put it in the back of my mind. But we don't, we fail to see how it's showing up in our relationships and in our inability to fully engage in relationships and be loved. We skip the part where we feel unprotected and therefore we never trust our significant other or trust our children to step a foot out of the house. That's because of the trauma that you've experienced. That's not, um, uh, you're not associating it with your pain or your trauma. But however, I'm looking at you from the outside in, and I can almost assign to you a level of trauma based on how you're moving in your current relationships, be it a sexual relationship, friendship, um, a sibling, or child to parent. How do you parent how do you manage your relationships, your sexual relationships, your business relationships? You'll be surprised how many little pieces of trauma we can see in how you manage your everyday life.
0: I'm sitting here doing cartwheels. You can't see me because <laughs> I'm on camera and this is just audio. Here's Listen, the this why- is
1: trigger warning talk podcast. We are bringing it. Thank you, LP, we for having bringing- me here.
0: <laughs> no. I'm telling you, I'm doing card reels, and here's why, Kathleen. As you said, we do uncensored conversations. It is what you say, say what it is. We do real talk here. Again, fluff is an action word to me. Something you do to pillows or add to a cap on top of cappuccinos and shit. When I have these discussions with people, I call it the iceberg syndrome. People only want to talk about the 10% that you can see and the 90%, which is the crux of the problem and the issues and the, and those taboos and those stigmas and those stereotypes and all the other crap that goes along with it. It stays under the water. I want to flip that iceberg upside down and say, hey, if we got to, you need some snorkel or scuba gear because we're about to deep dive into this stuff. It bothers me so, it makes me sick when I hear people, excuse me, when I don't hear people do real talk, you know what, for me, if we're not going to have the real discussions and have the real conversations and talk about those things, especially in our communities, I'm talking about black and Brown folks, because I always say another thing to people. When you meet somebody, here's a great icebreaker question. Ask them, what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the words, Mental health crisis. Kathleen, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said their answer, for their answer, the word crazy, my bank account would look like Elon Musk or Warren Buffett. They even say, crazy? Now? Huh?
1: I said, you just a whole astronaut now. You just going into space with blood. Mean.
0: Look, don't, don't, look, don't, you're trying to, you, you, you tripping my ADD switch. So don't, don't go there yet. I'm trying to stay focused, Catherine. Hold on. (laughs) I'm telling you. The top three answers that I've heard are crazy, insane, or lunatic. And so for me, I think, and I've heard it even in my own family. True story. My daughter is the product of a divorce when she was... Uh, so this was 2013 when we got divorced. I ended up getting sole legal and sole physical custody, right? And that was strictly because her mom was not following the parenting plan and was going against everything the judge said. I'm just speaking facts. That's it. I ended up having to put her in therapy because... She was really starting to wild out and all this stuff or whatever. I had a conversation with my beloved mom and I said to her, you know, I'm really concerned about her well-being. And she was in individual counseling and it got so bad she ended up going into group counseling and, and just she was really having a hard time with this. And there were a couple of times where she had to go inpatient having this conversation and you know my mom was like you know I just don't think that's really a good thing because you know you don't want her to be labeled and all this stuff that stuff can follow her and everything like that and I kind of sat back and I said to my mom I said mom you know I love you I have a couple of questions for you because I was trying to put it in words I said when I was young thank God I never broke a bone to this day I said, but if I had broken a bone, what would you have done? She said, I would have taken him to the hospital, you know, taken him to the ER. I said, okay. If I had cut myself to the point where I needed sutures, what would you have done? Again, I would have taken him to the ER, got you, sutured all up and stuff. I said, mom, if something was wrong with my mind, are you telling me you're not going to take me to a professional to get it treated? Kathleen.
2: Hmm
0: that changed the conversation in 180 degrees. And here's why, because we think of mental health and therapy for all the wrong reasons. Now, some of that is validated. Everybody wanted to go into open water until the movie jaws came out. Right. That's because that negative seed was planted in their head when they saw that movie, Oh, every open water, every every open body of water now has a shark in it. that's what people think and so same thing when it comes to mental health issues we tend to think about the negative stereotypes or the negative connotations that went along with it i always give the example of the movie one floor of the cuckoo's nest this was an oscar-winning film starring jack nicholson he won best actor the lady that played nurse ratchet which is part of our lexicon now She won an Oscar, and the film itself won for Best Picture. Came out in the 70s. It was a very realistic portrayal, but it was a movie, but it was a realistic portrayal of how people were treated in an inpatient facility. Now, you had people that were getting lobotomies, they were put in straitjackets, they were being put in padded rooms, and they were being medicated to the point where they were walking around like the walking dead without eating brains and organs and shit. So, When people think about movies like that, for example, they think, wow, that stuff still goes on. And it doesn't. Now, there are still padded rooms. I see padded rooms all the time when I was going, when I was working in St. Louis. Every hospital had, in the ER, had a psych section, had psych rooms. Some had beds. Some just had a mattress on the floor. But I'm telling you, every hospital has a psychiatric section in it, especially your top facilities. And so when I'm talking about mental health, I say, you know what? They don't do lobotomies anymore. I, as a paramedic, used to transport people that were getting electric shock therapy. These were a bunch of seniors. It was kind of the same ones from a group of facilities that we used to transport, non-emergency and there's three, there's three hospitals in St. Louis that do electroshock therapy. John Cochran VA, St. Louis University Hospital, which is a level one trauma center, and St. Mary's, which is a level two hospital out in Clayton. And I'm telling you, I would see the difference between the, those seniors' behavior from when I picked them up to dropping them back off, which would be about four to six hours later. And these were some regular folks that we would transport two or three times a week. Mental health therapy has changed so much. You don't you don't have a lot of these medications just being thrown at patients and stuff like you used to. They have things like cognitive behavior therapy. They have things like EMDR, which is phenomenal, especially for traumas from anxiety all the way through whatever, you know, A to Z. So when we're talking about mental health therapies, there's a lot of options. I've interviewed people, Kathleen, that are doing all kind of stuff that are doing I've interviewed people that are doing all kinds of therapies. They're doing stuff like uh, metaphysics stuff. They're doing hypnotherapy. They're doing Reiki. All kinds of different forms of therapy are being done with these patients. I want to stop right here. This is the trigger one talk podcast. Again, we are streaming on most of your major platforms. We do real talk. We cover sexually based offenses, missing persons, human and sex trafficking. And we also talk about domestic violence. Every show ends with a missing person case. Those missing person cases that we cover are about a black and brown man, woman, or child. We want to bring the same energy and the same media attention to those individuals as our non-black and brown men, women, and children get in the media. We have a special guest on the show. Her name is Kathleen Herrod. She's an author. She's written four books. One book is called Hurt People, Hurt People. She has another book that's entitled So You Think You Want to Have Sex? The Things I Wish I Knew in the Legacy Workbook. All of that information will be available in our show notes, in our description for the contact information, we definitely want you to keep in tune and in touch with Kathleen. She's a very passionate advocate. She's raising awareness all across not only social media. She's been seen in other platforms like Fox News and Essence and other different platforms. So, Kathleen. Yes i was doing a little commercial because i know you dropped off for a second but it was perfect timing so i want to finish up by saying that for me when it comes to mental health challenges i am in total agreement with you especially when it comes to black and brown folks we got to get rid of some of that stuff that we typically use as a crutch and these are reasons that we tend to not go for therapy but we'll go, like you said, take it to the head, drinking. We'll take it to the arm, using some drugs or snorting stuff or shooting up something or whatever. We'll do all this other negative thing. These other negative things, except for what we really need to do, which is face it head on and go seek the help. I did a Google search a couple of months ago. There's seven point eight billion with the B as in boy people on the planet. We can't feel like we're alone. we can't feel like there's nobody we can talk to. There's too many people on the planet. If you live to be a million years old, you would never meet every individual on the face of this planet right now. This planet is only twenty five thousand miles in circumference. ain't nobody going to work. I moved from St. Louis to Charlotte, but I didn't move to Mars. You know we got people all over the place that can help us, and with technology, we got virtual we got virtual capabilities. You and I are talking virtually. When COVID hit, we see that people can go to school virtually even more. People, My, work, my wife works for a Fortune 100 company. She's been working virtually for six years. So she, when COVID hit, she was like, why is everybody complaining and stuff? I've been doing this stuff for years. Like, y'all need to play catch up. You know, her company didn't miss a beat when COVID happened. Their profits went through the roof even more Because of COVID, you know, because they saw that they can do business virtually and not have people go on scene and travel and all this stuff. They didn't miss a beat. Matter of fact, they did a big merger. So we know that the help is there. We know that people can talk to people in all kind of ways, whether it's just on the phone, whether it's in a Zoom meeting, all kind of different avenues. I want to ask you two more questions. I know you told me before that, uh, and I plugged your books while you were offline. I want you to tell me about why it's important for you to write books talking about sexual traumas.
1: Well, thank you for asking me that Larry. So here's why it's important to me. Because of my own experience, um, um I came out of that experience, and as I began to journey into my adult he- adulthood and be- became more familiar with who I, who I was ver- versus um, the things that I had been attacked with early on in life uh, through trauma, um, I wanted to detach myself from the things that I was attacked with. So when you're attacked with trauma, trauma tends to want to hang around. It wants to have space and time in your life and it wants to basically consume you and rob you of the life that you could potentially have. And so it became important to me to seek out my own um identity, to seek out, you know, hey, me minus all of this trauma. Who would I be? Where would I be? What kind of life would I be enjoying? Now, that doesn't transfer into me being a multimillionaire, possibly could, but that's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at who am I at the core, right? Remove the anger, remove the frustration, remove all the layers of pain like an onion and reveal who is Kathleen. And I realized that trauma is so detrimental, it is so uh, you know, it pulls at your soul. And I wanted to have the opportunity to make us aware as a community so that our children, number one, do not experience the same level of trauma that we have experienced. You know, the black community um, has suffered a lot of trauma since we came out of slavery. Um, and it it, it kind of rolled with the package uh, because we were taught and I'm not trying to go off, trust me i'm on a, I'm on the same beaten path here. Um, but during that time, we were uh, taught to have a disregard um for ourselves and other human lives. There was yeah. breeding, there was inbreeding. You had a lot of things going on. From there, yeah. uh, we we moved on to be a community where over seventy percent of our households were single parent family households, um, which is also a detriment in our community because we know, Um, that single parent homes, there's a 20 uh, 20 times more likely chance that the child will be sexually assaulted. It goes up 20 times when when there's a co-parenting or single parent home status. Um, Not only that, but because it, it happens within the family, um, there is still by and large, the, the huge chance that it's probably going to be a family member or someone close to the family. When I began to understand those the, that data, those statistics, I wanted to kind of wrap my head around um, what do our, what does our community need? because we're more likely to experience trauma. I had to take yeah. a look back, take a step back and look at my own life, look at my my family, uh, where I was victimized in my family. I had to look at my community where I was victimized in my community. And I had to say, you know, Kathy, what kind of, uh, Kathleen, <laughs> what kind of help did you need at that moment? At that time, you know, when you were a little girl, at that time, when you were eleven, at that time when you were thirteen years old, what did you need? And I, I, I kind of wrapped that all into the book. I need parents to be aware. I needed, as a child, to be aware. I needed to know how to report when something did happen. Now, even though, you know, I was I was graced enough to uh tell on my offender i think i was 11 years old at the time um but it still had occurred for a number of years that's the thing out of out of all of it you know the fact that it happens is sickening you know in and of itself it's repulsive um the fact that it happens for years when you hear someone say it started when i was three kept going until i was 13 or 16 right and then he started messing with my little he started you know messing with my little sister or whatever the case may be that hurts me more than anything so it's because of my background it is because of my experience it is because of every time i'm a part of a of a health fair and i have grown men pastors um evangelists i have teachers i have parents i have people walk up to me and say Hey, my mom allowed my stepdad to molest me from the time I was 5 to the time I was 13 and they cry and they're adults and it's a public place and it's that deep. I know that part of what I wanted to do was bring awareness to the to our community. And so that's that's my passion. That's the reason why I do it. That's what I want to achieve. Awareness along with teaching us the value of reporting. Um, We have got to report. We've got to report. It doesn't matter that it's a relative. It doesn't matter if it's your own kid. Doesn't matter if it's your brother. Doesn't matter if it's your uncle. It doesn't matter. Report. Let them get the help they need. And also let them get the jail time that they need, right? Because. The victim needs to feel vindicated and you telling them, you know, get over it or them just going to therapy, but not having any justice is not fair. And I'm telling you that from my own experience, it is not fair. So, you know, let these people go to jail and let them get the help that they need. Um, And so I hope I answered the question. I feel like I missed the second part, (laughs) but that's my reason. That's why I do it. That's my passion.
0: You know what? Um, I always talk about expectations of accountability versus justice. I have a friend who has a room on Facebook, excuse me, on Clubhouse, and she actually has custody of her niece her brother she found out her brother from her niece was molesting her his own daughter and so she contacted the cops he was arrested he was prosecuted he was convicted he's in jail right now her niece now is her daughter she's two years old now and you know it's like like you said. it these people, when we're talking about, which kind of goes into one of my last questions, what term do you use? You, I heard you say victim. I know people use victim. They use survivor. They use overcomer, achiever, champion, triumphant, victor, victorious. I was told long time ago that you didn't refer to a person as victim unless they were either dead or you were talking about the crime itself for you. Are you okay with the word victim? And if so, why?
1: I'm okay with the word victim because uh, the reality is that it did happen. A lot of people suppress the reality that it did happen. That's the reason why some of them say I'm not a victim. Uh, because they just haven't come to terms with what happened now that's not the case for everybody but that's the case for some some don't like being painted as a victim whatsoever it strips them of their uh, belief in in the power that they do have it's you know it's 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 reasonable I, i understand for myself i say i'm a victim survivor overcomer and a conqueror i'm all for um I don't dismiss the fact that it happened. I don't need to hold on to it, um, but it sometimes it just makes you relatable to other people. Um, I'm an overcomer because um, I no longer am stuck in it. Um, I, you know, for the most part, I'm not crawling into a fetal position. I'm not triggered very easily. I've learned some some um, management skills and things like that. So, and I'm a conqueror because um, I also help other people to get to the level that I'm at. And hopefully there are other people out there who have survived and they can help me to get to the level that they are on. Um, So it can be a, it can be one, it could be a combination of all. It just, I guess, you know, it just depends on the individual.
0: Kathleen, I'm just sitting here and it just, it made me think about these young voices. It made me think about these old voices. Made me think about these these male voices i i'm not I'm not in a position of intentionally offending people, so when I say men and women, that's me just saying men and women you know I'm including everybody when I'm talking about these offense these sexually based offenses that are happening for me i didn't when I went to medic school. I was taught how to treat human beings. If I need a kidney. And Kathleen is a match. And she's a willing donor. I'm going to be a happy survivor. It's not going to matter that she's a woman. I'm getting a kidney from another human being. That's my bottom line. We got to get back to our humanity. Some people feel different for different reasons, and I understand some of those reasons. However, we have got to get back to our humanity. And when it comes to expectations of accountability, you hit the nail right on the head. People that have been victimized, that are surviving these traumas, have to know that you're not going to get justice because, in my opinion, justice is... Making the crime go away like it didn't happen. You can't take back that rape. You can't take back well, that. Well, that's rape not rape. that's. In just in terms of the act happening, that's all I'm saying.
1: There is there. I'm gonna push back a little bit, a little bit because well, I'm gonna push back a lot bit
0: because no. because no, no. This is just my opinion because again, like you can't change the laws of physics. Like I can't go back in time and and not make it
1: justice is justice is not about justice is not about untying what's done is that's not what justice is about justice is about um equaling equaling the impact on your life in as much as we can humanly possible in the way that you have impacted the lives of others so you killed my son Okay. The law doesn't allow me to kill you. However, you don't get the la 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 and have a life outside of prison. Going to prison is a change in your life. Sure. The way you disrupted mine. So justice would be, guess what? For 25 years, you're going to be nothing. You're just going to be sitting in a cell rotting. And hopefully I can get you killed after those 25 years for, for taking my, uh, Loved one's life, and if I don't get the death penalty, well, at least you will not be a- a lollygagging around here for the next twenty five years. You'll be locked up like the monster you are. Okay. So justice is not uh, giving me. I mean, you can't give me my body back before you raped it. Um, okay. But listen, bastard, you gonna pay for what you did in as much as humanly possible. I mean, if I could. If I could castrate uh, the person who raped me, sign me up, give me the sharp... I, I don't even want a sharp knife. Give me a very dull, ratchet knife you found okay. at the bottom of a dumpster a that boundary. has rust on it. And I will take part in, in, in taking off that part that have impacted uh, my life the most. But I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But as... As being a person who sat in many, many rooms with, with, oh my God, you're about to make me emotional. As being a person who sat in many, many rooms for people who not only wanted justice, they didn't even get a chance to be believed, right? Yes. Um, trust me, trust me. Going to jail, getting getting a person investigated, just, just just having that person picked up and accused is like a freaking win for somebody who's been through some bullcrap like that. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I, LP, I just had to jump in because you got to know that justice can look a lot of different ways. And for me and a lot of the young ladies and women and even men that I've spoken with, they would love, to see somebody even in handcuffs, even if it was for five minutes, just acknowledge the fact that you did something jacked up to me. Just just put that on paper somewhere that this person did this. And that's a form of vindication. That's a form of justice. That's letting the, the victims have their piece of peace, if you will.
0: I respect that. I think for me, uh, what I was saying is that I look at justice in terms of taking back the act. Accountability is that person paying for the crime in terms of jail time, in terms of, you know, your uh, example was possibly the death penalty, possibly castration, you know, possibly losing everything of value to that person. That's accountability. I totally, Get educated when I talk to subject matter experts, as well as non-medical, non-professional people who have experienced these traumas. And this is part of the reason why we do the Trigger Want to Talk podcast. It's about education. It's about awareness. It's about advocacy. It's about having all the points of views be brought to the table. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're just trying to make this ride as smooth as possible. Kathleen, how can people get in touch with you to get your works or to reach out to you? And we'll have that information posted in the show description.
1: Awesome! Thank you so much, LP, for having me here. So much gratitude, like gratitude, like gratitude for you even having this podcast, for having the courage to have such a podcast. Um, I love the, the name of your podcast, trigger warning talk podcast. And I was excited and still, ex- just, I'm just excited to be here today and glad you had me on. Listen, so- the way you can reach out to me, <laughs> the way you can reach out to me is, uh, via email. Um, you can re- reach out to kharrit at gmail.com. Um, I do have an Instagram page is khconsciouscoach on Instagram uh on Twitter um on Facebook it's kh conscious coach that's K as in kite H as in Harry conscious coach um and also when you go to my Instagram page I believe they have the link tree available you can click on the link tree um you can uh grab the book hurt people help people where I share my story of sexual trauma and it's more about awareness it's not really me sharing my story it's me sharing stories about how these things happen and how we can become aware and also um you can download the app what i love about the book is that the app is also included as part of the book and then um the digital copy of the app of course i mean the digital copy is the app so uh basically Um, I can tell you that I'm working because for some reason um, my links aren't working in my app and that's never happened in like 11 years. That's how long I've had that app. Have I had that app that long? It's been at least seven. It's been at least seven. For some reason um, they tried to shut my Facebook and Instagram page down at TBB contact three. That's where I do my advocacy work. So for some reason they tried to shut down my Instagram, my Facebook. It looks like they have completely shut down my Instagram which I had a ton of stuff on there. And then now they're trying to shut down my Facebook group. But listen, you can get in contact with me at KH, Um kharratt, I'm sorry, at gmail.com or Instagram. Um, if you would like for me to, I do virtual events. I do live events. I do health fairs, um, whatever it is. If you feel like I'm a good fit, reach out to me, reach out to me. I'll be more than than happy to to help in any way I possibly can.
0: We're going to make sure that that information is listed in the show notes under guest information. It'll be between the where we have the show description and the resources. We always put the guest information right between there at any point. If anybody's been triggered, you'll see in the resources, we'll have a bunch of hotline numbers and their websites that are associated with those particular hotlines, whether it's Domestic violence, trafficking, missing persons, as well as sexually based offenses, as well as substance abuse, help contact information. Kathleen, my St. Louis sister, I want to thank you so much for being part of the Trigger One and Talk podcast. You are always welcome to come back anytime to talk about anything that you're doing new. I know we didn't really touch on the sex trafficking aspect but you know what, we can always do a part two on that. You definitely are somebody that I respect. I love the conversation that we have and that we had today. And I wanna thank you sincerely for overcoming all the things that you've overcome and being an advocate. Thank you. Peace and blessings be upon you and your family forevermore. Until next time, Queen.
1: Thank you so much, LP. Have a great evening.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to jump right into the final portion of every podcast. Again, we want to thank Kathleen Harrod for being an author and advocate in raising awareness when it comes to sexually-based offenses. We're going to cover a case of a missing Black or brown person, as we always do, because it's very important that we raise awareness for these individuals. These individuals typically don't get the justice, let alone the media coverage, that needs to be held when it comes to their missing status. We cover runaways, we cover kidnappings, we cover abductions. When we talk about missing person cases, this case in particular involves a young lady. Her name is Shamika Kianta Casey. Cozy, I'm sorry. Shamika Kianta Cozy. I want to play the video clip of her new story in a few seconds here. This story with came out Tuesday, July 23rd of 2019. It involves a young woman. And here's her story. I said I hope that one day I'm going to find my child. This
2: is the face of the daughter who Paula Hill wants the world to remember and help her bring home.
1: Just ain't on here. I want it on the back.
2: She wants people to see her daughter the way she does to this day, a little girl in pigtails.
1: It's very hard living day to day,
2: not always a child. Is. Her name is Shamika Cozy, and the moment she disappeared is burned into her mother's memory. On December
1: the 28th, 2008, that was the last day that I
2: seen her. And it was a normal day. You've come back to this neighborhood a number of times. Oh, yeah. Shamika Cozy was here spending the night with her cousins just a few days after Christmas in 2008 when everyone woke up in the morning and discovered she was gone. She was 16 years old. A door was unlocked and police just outside St. Louis believe she ran away. So they never searched for the girl. They're not doing anything because they think
1: she's gone on her own. I don't know what to do. Shamika Cozy's story was different in
2: the sense that she vanished without a trace. Chandrea Thomas is a local news anchor and reporter who produces a podcast documenting forgotten cases of missing black Americans. This was one of her first.
1: She was going in and out of the house that particular night at around 1 a.m. She left with her purse and with her jacket. Her belongings, her overnight bag, was still left on the counters in the house, and she was never seen again.
2: This idea that she ran away, you don't believe that?
1: No. No. Do I believe she left her home with someone? Yes. But she was intending to come back. She was not intending to stay gone for 10 years.
2: Her mother says her daughter wasn't perfect. She once discovered a fake ID and another time saw her daughter in the dark sedan of a much older man. you believe that it's possible she may have been caught up in the sex trafficking trade? Yes,
1: because I heard about her dating older men.
2: Frustrated with police, the family went searching on their own. They posted flyers outside nightclubs where the 16-year-old used to sneak in.
1: Good afternoon,
2: she needed someone who understood her pain, and started this support group. They told us to tell okay. parents of missing children to never give up. You belong to a club that nobody wants to belong to. Yes, yeah. and yeah. we can give each other advice. Like yes. they've been through this. Years later, when Paula Hill and her two other girls were packing up to move. They found this major clue. So this is one of
1: her notebooks.
2: In these three notebooks are her daughter Shamika's handwritten messages from a few months before she disappeared. She talks about a boyfriend and sharing with him that she might be pregnant. I
1: can't allow him to feel like he got
2: power over me. Police interviewed the boyfriend and say he's not a suspect. I can assure that this department has tried to do everything in our power to find uh, Shamika Cozy. They tell us the case is still active and recently calls are coming in. Two weeks ago, we got a call and we're gonna follow up on any and all these that we get. Hill and her other daughters have submitted DNA samples to a national registry, praying the records give them a match.
1: This is her at the family union.
2: Paula Hill gets through the day with a broken heart, but in the time we spent with her, she smiled and laughed the most when she took us through these precious photos of her
0: missing daughter. (laughs)
1: I just need to keep her face out there. I I
0: don't want anyone to forget that she's missing.
2: Because you certainly haven't forgotten. So.
0: Today, our interviews came from St. Louis. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Our guest, Kathleen here is is from St. Louis, Missouri. And Shamika Kianta Cozy is from St. Louis, Missouri. She's been missing since December 29, 2008. At the time, she was 16 when she disappeared. She's from Berkeley, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis County, Missouri. She's five foot, five inches tall. Her weight is 160 pounds. We just want to bring awareness to these cases because to this day, she's still missing. If you have any information on her whereabouts, please contact the Berkeley Police Department or the St. Louis County Police Department. We'll have that information in the show description in the audio portion of this podcast. For the Trigger Want to Talk podcast, I want to thank you for joining us. I'm LP. Until next time, peace and blessings be upon you all forevermore. Be safe. Live in awareness. Don't live in fear. LP out.